Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin Tyler McElroy. And I'm Sydney Ann Smurl McElroy. That's not your name anymore. My, it was I destroyed Ann. Ann. <laughs> you destroyed Ann I personally? destroyed Ann with our marriage. There is no more Sydney Ann. There is only Sydney Smurl? There is only Mrs. McElroy. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's not going to fly. I'm sorry. It's Dr. McElroy, doctors Justin, please? doctors Justin and Sydney. No, okay, McElroy. you don't see. You don't get to be a doctor just because I am. Well, it's just the one doctor at the C- beginning. Could I make sure? I really want to make sure you never accidentally get an honorary doctorate. I worry about that it's, with you achieving levels of internet celebrity. There's always the fear that someone will want to give you an honorary doctorate, and then you're going to get to be doctor, oh, and then oh, what a choice! That is no, my, literally my life goal. That will, it's all I want <laughs> that, is an honorary doctorate. Please, no one, everyone listening, do not give Justin everyone an honorary doctorate. Tell, talk to people you know who can make that happen for me. Okay, no, please. Uh, please. <laughs> the, the, but it's a new year, Sydney. It's 2017. That could happen. The year's full of possibilities. We've put away garbage year 2016 That's in the right. dumpster where it belongs. And now we've moved on to good year 2017. Good year. Excellent 20, year. Is that the it's good full, year? Good year. It's full of possibilities, full mm-hmm. of opportunities. This is going to be the year. I mean, who knows? I'm, 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 I don't know. The sky's, the sky's the limit. You're going to do Taekwondo. I'm do Taekwondo. I'm going to take some Taekwondo classes. Get. I'm going to take baths more. Baths more, more baths. <laughs> That's a really important thing. Maybe 2017 is the year we go to space. I talked to you about this. Wait, like, like you and me go to space or like the human race? Because I mean, you know, the human race is like, we've been to space. Like no, like us personally. I mean, oh, okay. Just making sure, like we've totally been there. The future is moving very fast, and it seems like private space travel is taking off. And I feel like 2017 might be the year that I get to go to space or become an honorary doctor. One of those two, I think, is almost like law of averages. One of the two is going to happen. Probably not. But since you're interested in space, mm-hmm. do you want to talk about space medicine? Uh, that sounds very futuristic, like like Bones McCoy, that kind of thing. No, dang like it, Jim, actual... I'm a doctor, not a. You know, whatever he says. Right, that thing. The second part. Mm-hmm. Never, wa- never watched, can't. Mm. Can't? You saw the movies, two of the movies. Did I see two? You saw, did you see the yeah. one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch? No. So you saw one of the movies. I saw one of the movies. There's someone who is a doctor and not other things, right? Okay, moving on. That is the that is the point of that Sorry, joke. Sorry, you had something to say? Charlie asked me if Tarzan was in Star Trek, and I said, 
Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Just to just to antagonize me, I think. Just to antagonize Justin. Let no space medicine is a real thing, honey. I know. Okay. Well yeah. I, I didn't know, I know if you really knew. The dumb thing's a bit. I mean I'm I'm a sharp guy. <laughs> I'm not, I mean I'm not like the top of the pack, but like I'm in the middle somewhere. Space medicine is a real thing. People really, you know, I mean the as you can imagine, outer space, humans in outer space presents a whole new set of challenges mm-hmm. for like what does that do to the human body? And so there is not a long history when it comes to space medicine because you know, we had to figure out that we could go there first. Sure. Um, but it is really interesting because the the history of space travel is so there's this accelerated timeline that happens where we kind of had to figure things out really quickly. So likewise doctors had to figure things out really quickly. Hmm. So it's interesting. Not necessarily in the in the usual sawbones fashion of stupid stuff, though. Interesting. It's, it's more just really smart, interesting stuff. Well, let's hear about so it. So in May 1961, JFK said, we're going to put a man on the moon within the decade. And then one guy in the room shot his hand up and was like, dibs? He's like, <laughs> no, I mean, we'll pick that later. We'll, we'll pick who it is later. We're not picking it now, <laughs> Doug. Put your hand down, this, Doug. This isn't is the first come. First it's not like shotgun. Yeah, Doug. <laughs> um, this was, of course. That man was a young Joe Biden. Inspirational. <laughs> that would be a young Joe Biden. <laughs> I love Joe Biden. NASA was not very old. NASA was only a few years old at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously this was challenging from a technical perspective, you know, space flight. But also from a medical perspective. Mm-hmm. Because what? how do you... We don't we we can't study humans in space until we put them there. We can kind of replicate some conditions on Earth, but it's, it's very difficult. So there were a lot of questions. People had already been studying it for a while. We'd been studying this concept really since the '40s, um, but nobody had all the answers. There was some groundwork already laid for this. The the birth of space medicine is really when we look back to like early flight medicine. Mm-hmm. So as we got better at building airplanes that went faster and higher, we had to deal with the effects of speed and altitude mm-hmm. on humans. And so so we had some of that kind of research and data that we could extrapolate from, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. well, if we're thinking to launch somebody into space, we have to go this much faster, this much more velocity would have this effect on the human body, et cetera, et cetera. Sure, because we've been testing stuff like that since... I would assume since, you know, Obviously. planes were became part of the military. Since yeah, exactly. Well, since the Wright brothers. Sure, yeah. Flew. Um, specifically, the Air Force obviously did a lot of this research, and its predecessor, the Army Air Corps, because the Air Force was originally part of the Army. Right. I knew that, actually. I'm impressed. I know that because my pawpaw was in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Since World War I, the flight surgeon was an essential part of the team. And a flight surgeon has more than just a, a medical role. Obviously, they take medical care of pilots. But they also have to ensure standards for pilots, for physical and medical fitness. They also, ha- they also played a role in like developing the gear and the equipment that would be used to protect humans in these new atmospheric and whatnot conditions, which is a really interesting role for a doctor to play. And an integral part of doctors who work with space medicine now. It's mm-hmm. not just doing exams and diagnosing people and treating them. It's, I mean, they have like a technical job too, you yeah. know, developing spacesuits and whatnot right. as an like, example. So okay. it, it's a really interesting field of medicine for that reason. Um, 
And like I said, we already kind of had some roots in flight medicine because not only were we putting people in planes, but we also had been sending people up really high in balloons for a while. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at a lot of the early altitude like on purpose? studies, yeah, like we were putting people in hot air balloons and being like, just go really high. And let's Let see, us know. Let's see what happens. Yeah. Take this camera up and just record yourself until you lose it. <laughs> there are all these records you can read about, like, and then this guy went this high in a balloon and then this... Lieutenant went this high in a balloon and everyone was very impressed, which doesn't sound impressive now. Like he went after No, in a it's balloon. super <laughs> impressive because if you're like a dumb earthling, you know there is a height at which you die. Like there's a height at which you're gonna die. And like you don't know what the lead up to that is. You don't know like how high that is. You don't know how how close your buddies got. Like I hope I'm not the one. Like, I just feel like there's a height at which you die, and you have to know that. That's a that's that's intense. I mean, it's slow. Like you would probably see it coming. Like, oh no, this is uh, feeling a little high. I feel high. like I'm not breathing very well. Oh no, <laughs> this is not good. I have to get back down to earth in the next three hours. We also obviously were investigating how fast humans could go because, like, we had broken the sound barrier. Chuck Yeager. I thought What's this up? was a good mo- a moment to West mention. Virginia's own, mm-hmm. the pride of Huntington, West Virginia. No, not Huntington. Not Huntington, but West, West Virginia. Virginia. I met him. I've sh- I shook his hand. He cool hugged dude. me. He's a cool dude. I feel like we've talked about Chuck Yeager before because we, we talked, talked about, about him Chuck when he does the lectures for the Yeager Society, how he'll. Um, he shows up in sweatpants. And shows a, a well, short tracksuit. A tracksuit. Track yeah. And shows a short film about himself, which is like so rock and roll. And sorry, if I did something one one thousandth as cool as break the sound <laughs> barrier, you would never stop. I, I, it's all I would ever. I would be insufferable. Like, uh, P.S. If you want to treat, follow him on Twitter. Oh, let me he's just crushing say, it. Yeah. Let me just say. Uh, a lot of um, early medical advances were also based on research that was gathered after World War II uh, that was... Uh, taken from the Germans. So we took all of the research that they had already been doing and basically kind of open literature published it all by the U.S. military and said, look, this research is out there. Now we can all use it. Um, mm-hmm. So there were a lot of quick advances that were made by compiling all that research together. Yoink. Um, and then they built all kinds of like laboratories and different things on earth to try to, like I said, replicate some of these conditions so that we could study them better. So at the U S Naval school of aviation medicine in Pensacola, they had things like low pressure chambers. They had like this radiation laboratory. Cause everybody was worried. Like, what do we do when we get up near the sun and we have radiation from the sun? We don't know. Uh, there was like a slow rotation room and something called a human disorientation device. Whoa. Which sounds like, weird it's pretty intense yeah i mean like i I always imagine that like now we're getting into like weird lsd experiments yeah it seems like more of a side (laughs) side effect than like an intentional thing back in the in the late 1940s we started with things like seeds and fruit flies sending them up into space for very short flights and then bringing them back and being like did did they make it Um, (laughs) And then we started with with animals, things like monkeys and mice and sending them up for various periods of time and then bringing them back. And again, a lot of it was what what happens to them when they're in especially weightless conditions was a big question. And then can they make it back? It took us a few years before we uh, were able to successfully retrieve a mouse from space. What about monkeys? They were all fine, right? Well, that took us later. That took longer. Yeah, but they were fine. All the monkeys. They, uh, yeah, Justin. The monkeys were fine. Oh, they were monkeys were fine. They came back down, got a banana, <laughs> did some funny tricks. 
put on a diaper. Uh, yeah, that's that's how it happened. Anyway, moving on. The at one the point, impressive thing that people don't talk about enough is how long it must have taken to train the monkeys to fly a spaceship because that is i'm assuming a very intense thing you don't just push the two space um, button like it's it's an intensive thing and i can't and the work that we had to do to train monk like of course we'd bring them back safely they're highly trained astronauts duh you know uh, well duh (laughs) i did i did read i know you're joking i did read that one monkey was trained for like 18 months before it was sent up in like a simple task so they could witness it doing Here's what the simple, simple, ta- you know what the simple task was, space. weirdly, space kung fu. <laughs> they were worried about aliens with martial arts training. And they right. spent 18 months training ch- Chimbo, the kung fu fighting chimp, to fight Martians who they wouldn't catch. They didn't know. It was a primitive right. era. We assumed we were going into space to fight Martians. Yeah, with kung fu, with monkey kung fu. <laughs> well, they have Santa. There's that old movie where Santa's on Mars. We have to go save him. With a monkey training kung fu. Exactly. Ex- precisely. Um, there was this... I was reading about this one uh, space flight project, Project Mercury. And at one point, there was like this note, like, we kind of ran out of rockets for a bit, and we had to make some more, so we experimented back that with balloons. That must have been embarrassing when you showed up to pick one up. <laughs> like, no, we, got, we don't got any. But they were like, well, so we went back to balloons for a little bit, and so we sent some mice and some hamsters up in balloons and then brought them back and see like, how that went. That's like half a rolled doll book right there. <laughs> that's adorable. That, yeah. You see him, like, looking up over the edge of the basket. How's it going? <laughs> Bad. And then, so starting from from like 1949, you, there are just hundreds of studies that are published testing all these different effects of like, if we send you up in flight, what happens to fluid and food intake and, and like, you know, what? how do your kidneys function and how do you pee in space and like what happens to your eyes? Uh, they did things like... Uh, sealed cabin human isolation studies. If we put a human inside this room with other humans, what what do they do? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the cardio like cardiodynamics? What happens to your heart and your vascular system when you're weightless? Uh, things like the psychophysics of weightlessness. So, I mean, just like what happens to your whole body, to all your organ systems, and and everything that's happening inside of you. How will you feel? Mm-hmm. And, and all that. So they did all these studies. Um, there are lots of them you can read. There was one that I found that was pretty interesting because I think what, what was fascinating to me is how worried they were about not just the physical fitness of humans in space, but psychologically, I think that's a big consideration, what it will do to you to be trapped in a small room, weightless, mm-hmm. with other humans for long periods of time, mm-hmm. and you can't leave. And that... That sounds that sounds upsetting to me personally. Yeah, uh, yeah, less than ideal. So I found one study where they took six men and they put them in a chamber that allowed about seventy five cubic feet per person, and they put them in there for eight days. And they tried it first at like a simulated altitude of ten thousand feet, and then they repeated it at sea level to see what altitude had effect on it, and that kind of thing. And while they did it, they measured heart rate, respiratory rate, their temperature, the electrical conductance of their skin to look for like arousal, not not sexual arousal, like yeah, an- anxious arousal. Uh, tried to see if like anxiety or tried to see if confinement would be too anxiety producing, basically. And they had lots of um, tasks that they gave the men to like maintain their oxygen levels. Now, 
these were simulated tasks. Right. They had oxygen. Don't worry. But they they had they wanted it to, to be like space flight where you're not just going to be chilling. Yeah. Like you're going to be doing stuff. So they had all these tasks that they had them do. And then on day five, they introduced this emergency situation where everybody had to react very quickly and deal with a lot of stress. And then they just took all these measurements like every 20 minutes the whole time they did this. Huh. Um, and from all this, they concluded that the confinement wasn't really any more stressful than than just like a base level of like the emergency situation they introduced was pretty stressful. But overall, they, they handled everything else pretty well. Mm-hmm. So they did a lot of studies like that. My favorite, the reason I mentioned this one is that there's a note in this study, and I like I love the way scientists write because what they say is that after they introduced the emergency, as a result, the crew became disorganized and confused in their behavior and failed to function as a team. After the emergency, the crew tended to blame the experimenters outside the chamber for their confusion and displayed great hostility by cursing and other aggressive behavior, <laughs> which lasted the remaining three days of the study. That's tough also to... Explain your job to people. Like, I'm an astronaut, except I do all the astronaut things, but the one thing is <laughs> I am just, like, in a building somewhere in Florida. But other than that, like, I'm an astronaut. Most of the time. Most of the time. But sometimes I just hang out in this building. Yeah. With other with other dudes. So you go to space and, like, do a bunch of... No, 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 no. We I, don't know how to do that yet. <laughs> no, we don't know how to do that yet. What I'm mainly doing is just, like chilling in a very small space and trying to stay cool. <laughs> now, now through all these studies, they they came up with criteria for astronauts. That was a big a big part of it was let's do a bunch of studies and figure out who can go into space, what what do we need to do to make sure they're okay. So, this included they came up with like a few characteristics. They need to have environmental stress capacity. They need to be tough. They need to be resilient. They need to have motor skills, perceptual skills. They um, initially said they had to be at least 35. They later changed it to at least 39 just because the technical skills and qualifications they needed, it was hard to meet by 35. Mm -hmm. Um, They had to have either an engineering or some kind of scientific degree because of the technical skill you would need. Uh, They could be no more than five foot 11 that makes sense because of the size of the Stop hanging up so much of the <laughs> spacecraft. And so initially, they choose they only chose from like military test pilots mm-hmm. because they wanted people who were like tough and fearless. And so that's where they kind of they went. Sure, to the it's the closest then. you could get. I would guess exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, they did tons of testing on these people. They did eye examinations. They took pictures of their retinas. They did, I mean, really invasive testing. They looked at their larynx and they they um, did EKGs and tilt table tests and just all kinds of like neurological tests. Um, they made them do like seizure tests, the EEG, the thing where they put all the electrodes on your head and mm-hmm. make sure you don't have seizures, and then made them like hyperventilate and do it again. And make sure they were okay. They did. They did proctosigmoidoscopy. What is okay? Sort of like I a colonoscopy. Know what the first, uh, half before. is about. Yeah. This is like an early form of a colonoscopy sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of labs, including a stool inspection and a sperm count. Yeah. Well, we we do know <laughs> the Martian women. We don't know how their systems will function, but we want to make sure if it doesn't work. It's not on our end. <laughs> that there was no explanation for this sperm count. Well, can't understand. Mm. Maybe they wanted to know, like, 
if it dropped to zero after they went into space, <laughs> well, okay, they wanted to say like, listen, no, 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 that was not us, okay, <laughs> that you were at Zilch beforehand, okay, that, okay, sure, that was just to cover cover their butts, yeah. Uh, they did stress tests, pulmonary function tests, they X-rayed them from top to bottom, and then they did a bunch of different tests of like their mental and social well-being is the way they put it. They want to mm-hmm. make sure that they are psychologically prepared for space travel. So some of some examples of some tests that they did, one was called the Harvard Step Test, where they just made you step up 20 inches to a platform and down every two seconds for five minutes. They did something called a cold presser test, where you put your feet in a tub of ice water and then just checked your pulse and blood pressure. I'm sitting here <laughs> thinking I could do the Harvard Step Test, but I bet I probably couldn't. I bet it's like power hour, where like it doesn't sound like a lot of beer, but yeah, it's a lot of beer, actually. <laughs> pretty bad. Um we could do the cold presser test. I could do that. Remember? I did it when we were taking that prenatal class. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really good at sticking my hand in ice water for a long time. <laughs> um, they did a lot of isolation tests where they would just put them in dark soundproof rooms for three hours. Yeah. See how they do. Um, and then there were a lot of other psychiatric tests. They did like the the Rorschach test, the classic inkblot test and interviews, had them like draw a person finish this sentence um what something that would determine their uh attitudes towards authority yeah makes sense yeah and then um interpretation of the question who am i Mm. 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 who am i who am i in space a martian sympathizer okay you're out you're out gotcha Gotcha. Fell for the oldest trick of the book. Um, there also is, it was a lot that was happening at the time, engineering the suits that they would wear. And just uh, one interesting note that I found is that early spacesuits, um, because they were just designed for really short flights at first. I mean, we're talking people were going up in space for, you know, 36 hours sure, or something. Right. Um, early suits just had a container that would collect all your urine. Mm. Dump it when you get home. <laughs> exactly. Just wear that, wear that. And they also would intentionally eat what we would call like low residual diets for a few days ahead of time, meaning diets that would not make you have to be him in space. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a long, long time. Touch brings me around again to find my bladder bag is totally full. So full, full, full. And I haven't pooped. <laughs> I haven't pooped. I I never knew that's what that song was about. It's about emptying your bladder bag and not pooping. Um. So what else, Sid? Tell me more. I'm going to tell you more, Justin, but why don't you come with me to the billing department? Let's first. go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate my God for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life 
and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box? Pre-prepared? All I got at two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones 50 and use code Sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code Sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash Sawbones50 to get 50% off. So we were getting closer to the modern era, Sid. That's right. So obviously, once we figured out, we, we like I said, we sent people up into space for short flights at first, you know, 30-odd hours and such, just to see the effects. Uh, again, our biggest fears were weightlessness, altitude, or what... Weightlessness, radiation from the sun, um, the speed of takeout, takeoff was a big concern. Martian lasers. And then a lot of stuff we couldn't predict, just what was going to happen to people when they were in space. For instance, when we finally started actually sending astronauts up to the moon, the question was, is there stuff on the moon that's dangerous to us? <laughs> we have no idea. Now, here's the here's the thing. A lot of scientists did have an idea. The idea, the answer was no. Listen, <laughs> we know a lot about space, even though we haven't been there. We've, not, I mean, that's the thing. When we get into physics, there's a lot of stuff you can predict, especially as you, you know, the more you, and I'm not an expert of physics, but the more you understand astronomy and and atmospheres and what we know grows and lives in different conditions, you can begin to predict that there there was not anything on the moon to worry about. And so there were lots of scientists at NASA who were saying, this is insane. We do not need to worry about contamination from the moon. Right. But the government is obviously involved with this as well. And the last thing they want is a story about how astronauts brought back moon germs. <laughs> <laughs> to, to cause public outrage and panic. So... Starting with Apollo 11 and all the way up through uh, Apollo 14, the astronauts, when they would return from the moon, were quarantined 
for three weeks in these little mobile quarantine units, these little trailers. There's actually a really great picture you can find of the astronauts looking out of their, this teeny little window in this quarantine trailer, and they're waving at President Nixon <laughs> through, through the window. Um, and they would have to stay there for three weeks. There was a doctor who was put into contamin- like put into quarantine with them and some staff members to check them for moon germs, <laughs> for whatever <laughs> contamination may be there from the moon. Um Obviously, we ended the quarantine. We don't do that anymore because we know that's not a concern, but we didn't. Uh, There's this really funny story, too, that you can read about uh, from a lot of the NASA scientists and doctors who were involved in these early studies have have written and lectured about this extensively. And they talk about that Nixon and his presidential, um, you know, what am I trying to say? Entourage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All approached the quarantine unit and it automatically triggered this pressure differential to start. And if they had not stopped what was happening five pounds of pressure quicker or something Mm -hmm. or or slower, uh, they almost ended up with Nixon in quarantine with them. Really? He almost crossed the pressure threshold so that he would have had to be quarantined for three weeks with the astronauts. Oh, my gosh. There are so many. Very, like, like, it was actually five PSI is what they said within having to be quarantined. There's like a a lot of wonderful one-act play opportunities (laughs) if you're looking to adapt anything. Uh, He wasn't. And obviously, eventually, we stopped doing that. Um, Since then... Of course, we've learned a lot more. We've gone to space many more times. Uh, and it's really interesting when you read about this. There were a lot of times where the um, the U.S. and the Russian space programs were sharing information. Like mm-hmm. scientists were sharing and, and having um, conferences where they would exchange information. At times in history where I was very surprised that we were. Really? Which was very heartening. And that I think that's a kind of a hallmark of science sometimes is despite whatever geopolitical you know, strife is going on that you see scientists working together because that's their job. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, since, since then we've done so one other interesting study that I found was back in 2011, they actually had a study called Mars 500. Um, obviously the next we've gone to the moon. What's next? Mars, Mars or bust. So Mars 500 was a study done where six men were kept inside a small simulated spaceship for a year and a half um, to, study like basically they went to mars and came back Mm -hmm. uh that was the idea and they even had like a simulated mars landing and a mars surface and they did like (laughs) they drove around on this fake mars and did little missions and then got back in their spaceship and flew back home don't feel bad for them feel bad for the guy that had to hold up the little toy mars in front of them for a year (laughs) and a half there it is, I, boys. Dude. We're going to get there soon. Every day he had to step forward a quarter inch. It's <laughs> did, exhausting. Do you think it was like on a little fishing rod a little with fishing, a wire? Exactly. Just hold it up in front of him. Yeah. Um, but again, a lot of that was just to look at what happens when we trap humans in small spaces for a long time. That's, I, a, that's a lot of the big concern. I could have sa- saved him several million dollars. They hate each other's guts. <laughs> like, they're going to hate each other's guts. They actually, they wrote letters to the outside from their regularly and journaled and they kept, I mean, this is not journaling for their own, like it's not just for dear diary journaling, yeah. like scientific purposes to see what their, you know, mental states were like during this and, and how they interacted with each other and to describe their relationships and struggles and stuff. And you can find all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you, there are a few things you need to know that from all of this space travel, in addition to some of the things I've named, what have we learned about, medically what happens to the human body in space. Well, I don't know. Tell me. So here are some here are some interesting things. 
first of all, your organs get displaced. Oh, no. You don't have gravity. Oh, so they're just going to be wandering around? Well, I mean, they don't wander around, but they do shift a bit. They kind of shift up a little bit. No, thanks. Yeah. They just kind of, everything kind of moves just a little bit. So from a doctor perspective, it can make it a little harder to examine you because everything's not quite. where is it? And what's well, this? I, it's not quite Why where is it that gurgling? <laughs> um, all the fluid in your body moves up a little bit. So initially when you go in, when you become weightless, when you're in zero gravity, uh, like your face will swell, your eyelids will swell, you'll look flushed, kind of like engorged if you can imagine all that extra fluid up in your face uh, and and like astronauts will describe it as like a fullness in their head and face it's very uncomfortable i'm sure mm-hmm. your diaphragm shifts up a bit so you can get like a barrel chest appearance um, but your abdomen will look pretty flat because of that cool so that's, there, cool. that's nice get those six-pack abs um your vision can change because of all that fluid moving upward in your body it puts extra pressure on your optic nerve and it can actually change the shape of your eyeball while Ooh, you're in weird. space um, which will then change your vision a little bit. Uh, in some cases, that'll go back to normal when you return to Earth, but not always. Not always completely resolves. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition, another problem with eyesight in space is that stuff that we're used to having around us that just settles on you know, dust and debris that settles on tables and floors and whatnot sure. is going to float up all over the place and can get in your eye, including things like dead skin yeah. that will float off of you instead of falling off of oh, you. Oh, grody, okay. And like maybe little pieces of like even like metal or things from equipment if you're not careful. So right. infections and irritation of the eye are really common. Um, constipation is a common problem in space. Makes sense. Gravity helps us go. Uh, also, motion sickness is a common uh, problem at first. And you can imagine that vomiting is a pretty bad scene in weightlessness. Yeah. By the oh, way. no, thank you. Uh, long, longer term problems. It's not good for your bones. We need, we know we need weight bearing activity to help maintain healthy bones, strong, there's, healthy bones. There's some, I know in the, like the international space station, there's like an exercise area. Like I know they got a treadmill and stuff. Exactly. And that is, that is essential. They have to exercise regularly in space. That's not just to keep the pounds off. Right. That really is to help maintain bone fitness because you can get osteoporosis, weakening, thinning of your bones, and then breaks, fractures of your bones as a result. And that's a little bit of that is going to happen if you're in space long enough, even if you exercise regularly. So that's why it is so important to do that. On the flip side, your feet will get much softer because your calluses could come off. Great. So that's well, kind of So nice. that's one good thing. So then you get that. That is, is amazing to me. It always stuns me the amount of like, you think about this. This is one small facet of getting someone like to the moon or to Mars or mm-hmm. whatever. This is one small facet and we incredibly condensed it and it still filled 30 minutes of like, and that's one little piece of this whole huge and, puzzle. And this is just, and let me stress, this is one little piece of the medical I mean, I, this is just a brief overview. The intense studies and time and how many different people were working on these projects. I mean, when they talk about even designing the spacesuit, the first uh, like seven astronauts that were chosen after they did, set up all those guidelines and did all those studies, I mean, they retailered. It actually, they, they talked about how one guy's suit had to continually be retailered. I don't know if he was like munching on Doritos or yeah, something but like snacks. seriously but like they, they like to tailor each suit exactly to the person and to meet all the specifications and to try over and over again to keep people safe and healthy and I, there's just so many things to it and you it's had amazing. to solve them all it's amazing 2017 I'm getting there I'm gonna do it Justin's I'm just gonna go to space I just told or him how to or become a doctor 
Um, folks, that's going to do it for us. Uh, thank you so much for uh, listening to our program. We hope that you have had fun while you've been uh, 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 listening to it with us. We uh, we wanted to say, we haven't talked about it in a long time, but we have um, uh, a P.O. box where you can send us stuff. P.O. Box 54, Huntington, West Virginia, 25706. I want to say a huge thank you to Andy for sending us some holiday beer. Uh, Bess that and Mark... One of the best beers I've ever had in my send life. Us Thank a, you so much. Send us a t-shirt and a book they made called Rest in Pieces. A t-shirt I believe Sydney is wearing yes, right this moment. I am wearing. Uh, Matt sent some cereal. Uh, Mary Kate made us a plenty toy. She's jurisprudence on Twitter. Um, check out the stuff she makes. Ed and Melissa sent some Christmas music. Maddie sent a, a lovely bunny print. Um, Jennifer made us Sawbones and Taz sense. And Felix made us humor's soap. So thank you to everybody who who sent that stuff along. We really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you all so much. Nobody feel like you have to do that. It's just it's nice. But it's nice when you and do. cards, lots of cards and stuff, uh, especially around Christmas time that mm-hmm. we got. And so thank you for all those cards yeah, and letters, wedding invitations. Thank you. Wedding invitation, sure. Uh, thank you so much to the taxpayers for letting us use our song "Medicines" as the intro and outro of our program. Thank you, the Maximum Fun Network. Their website, maximumfun.org, is where you can find a ton of other very enjoyable uh, podcasts. One that just moved over there is Rose Buddies. If you like the The Bachelor, then you're going to love Rose Buddies. If you don't like The Bachelor, you will probably still love Rose Buddies. If you like McElroy's, you're going to like Rose Buddies. Rose Buddies. And you do, because you're listening. It's my little brother Griffin and his wife Rachel talking about The Bachelor and drinking wine. Uh, it is an excellent show. Um, and folks, that's going to do it for us. Unless, Sid, do you have anything to add? No, that's it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Until next week, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.